0: Go. Are we doing the Welcome Back, My Friends thing anymore? No. All right. Just making sure. The uncomfortable laugh. It's like the uh, Welcome to Sin Escape magazine shows, Mike. We'll figure it out. All right. So uh, I decided to watch more Netflix. And I watched two movies. And the first one that I watched was The Five Bloods, which is a spikely joint. And I... What did I do? I first off, I'm not really interested in Vietnam stuff that much anymore because it seems like every Vietnam tale, for the most part, has been told. Even the black experience has been told before. There was a movie called um, the movie Dead Presidents that came out in 95 with Lorenz Tate and um, Chris Tucker that dealt with it a little bit. There was another movie called The Walking Dead that came out in the early nineties, I think 92, maybe 91. That also dealt with the black experience in uh, Vietnam. And then there was, there's been a couple other things. And of course, you know, Robert Downey Jr.'s performance in (laughs) Tropic Thunder, (laughs) but that didn't really count. But anyway, um, so I, but I did want to check this out because of the cast, because I'm a, I'm a fan of the cast. And also, I mean, after seeing Black Klansman, I wanted to see, you know, what, 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 what else Spike Lee has to pull out of his hat because he's a very mixed bag type of director for me. So anyway, four African-American vets battle the forces of man and nature when they return to Vietnam, seeking the remains of their fallen squad leader and the gold fortune he helped them hide. So for me, like, okay, critics are like across the board, like praising the shit out of this movie. And for a lot of points, Yeah. The movie does deserve some of the praise. I think it's overpraised, though, because this movie isn't, in my eyes, it's not a great movie, but it's also coming from a white dude. So maybe it's just different for me. I don't know. But it seems to me like this movie is kind of uneven in certain ways where it's, it, it kind of delves, like it drifts into the realm of being funny, almost like dark comedy funny. And then it gets super serious. And then it gets kind of goofy, a little bit in tone, and then all of a sudden it gets super serious again, and then and then it stays serious for very long periods of time. And so I couldn't. some there were a few times where I couldn't get a good bead on the movie. And they're like the whole beginning of the film, when the 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 four main characters uh, played by um, God damn it, I want to get this right, so don't don't just bear with me here. The four main characters played by Delroy Lindo. Jonathan Major, well, Jonathan Majors plays his son. Sorry. Clark Peters, Norm Lewis, and Isaiah Whitlock Jr. Isaiah Whitlock Jr. is, he's been in a a random amount of things. He's been on The Wire. He's known as that guy who's got his own catchphrase. And he always says, shit. So if you've ever seen him in anything, you'll know what I'm talking about. He's, he's a funny dude. Uh, Clark Peters, uh, he played the cop that John Wick runs into in the hotel. In the first John Wick movie. And, uh, you know, goes, oh, hey, you still working? You working, John? <laughs> that guy, he plays the, one of the other main characters. There's a guy named Norm Lewis who I've never seen in anything. Right. And then there's Delroy Lindo. Delroy Lindo is the best part of this movie. He is he he goes through so many emotions and his character is unpredictable and erratic and scary because his character, and he's also the best written. Like he his he's the most fleshed out character. Everyone else has something going on, but they don't tap very much into it. Like Clark Peters, he has the second most amount of backstory in the film. The other two characters, Isaiah Whitlock's and Lewis's, they don't seem to get that much. They they're they're there. They're there the whole film, but they don't have much to really delve onto with them. Okay you know with Clark Peters you know it shows like you know a, a uh, was it a Vietnamese prostitute that he hooked up with in the past and you know they got a daughter hope oh, spoiler alert but you find this out at the beginning of the movie so I'm not really giving too much away all right, but then, but Del Rolindo's is is like the big one because his son ends up showing up to try to stop him from going on this mission where they're trying to recover the body of of their sergeant who was played by uh, Chadwick Boseman. So he's uh, he comes he shows up in, in flashbacks, and so Boseman's in the movie, but he's the movie's two and a half hours long, and I think Boseman himself maybe has maybe fifteen to possibly 20 minutes of total screen time in the entire movie, if that. All right. The whole movie centers around the four characters who survived Vietnam and now they're older and now they want to go back. Because also there's gold bars that they found that were supposed to be given from the American government to Vietnam or whatever. And that got lost with um, Bozeman's body. So those are the two things that they're trying to recover. And so the beginning of the movie, when these four guys hook up, in Vietnam, they all reunite there and they're interacting with each other, hanging out at bars, reminiscing about the past and things like that. It feels kind of odd. It almost feels like you're not watching a movie. It almost feels like a documentary in a way. And it it almost felt like it was uh, like if anyone's ever seen the 1517 to Paris done by Clint Eastwood which is based on real events and then played by the real actor, by the real people that were in it. The four main guys or the three main guys. It also feels very documentary ish in a way, but, and that, so that kind of took away from the, the overall dramatic cinematic feel of the film in a way. But then it, when it starts to, when they get on the boats and they start going down these rivers and Vietnam, you know, going on their mission, their journey and everything like that, then it starts to feel more like a movie itself and Spike Lee, of course, he has every trademark or every director, every known director has their own trademark styles. And Spike Lee's trademarks are in this movie. One of them is where he, he'll throw history. He'll throw black history um, segments into the movie to show you what the mindset was at a certain time period or what certain people were going through and things that you just don't hear talked about very much. So he does that with the black experience during Vietnam. He shows something, he shows some war atrocity type stuff and, and other things as well. And another trademark he does is where he'll have one of the main characters talk to the camera for like almost 10 minutes you know, talking about their own their own personal hell going through with whatever, you know, with racism or whatever it is they're going through, or, you know, the government fucking them over or something, you know. And it's very spikely trademarkish. And and it works with the movie because it, it reminded me of like say when you watch the 25th hour where you have all these different people talking to the camera or in um or like in um do the right thing, for example. And um, you know, and a lot of the actors in this movie are good, but Del Lindo, like I said before he is. He has to get a nomination for something in for this movie. I mean, He's got top billing in it, so technically he should get lead actor because he's in the entire film. Because when they do the flashback sequences of back into like 1971, well, all of them are playing are being played by the same actors. They're 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 not de aged or anything like in say um, the Irishman that that Scorsese did last year. They're all still playing the same thing, which it works because it feels like you're almost looking at it like the way they look now looking back on the time that they came from. So it didn't bother me that the same actors were playing their pastels because they didn't really try to make them look younger or anything. So, but Lindo, and I've I've been a fan of Delroy Lindo for a long time. Um, since I think like 95 when he was in broken arrow, not a great movie, but I liked him in that. I especially liked him in get shorty with Travolta and Gandolfini and Hackman. And, um, and then, um, uh, also in another movie from '95 was Congo. He has like a five-minute role cameo in Congo, and he's like a scene stealer in that fucking in that movie. I love it. He, Stop eating my sesame cake. <laughs> so I love, I love that. I love Del Rolindo, man. So for him to finally have a role this big to chew on. And he fucking chews it, man. He, for two and a half hours, he is just going through this wide range of unpredictable emotions because this guy has more PSD. He has like the collective of everybody's PTSD, like in him himself, like he's taken on the burden of all of it. And he shows it through his performance, you know, uh, Paul Walter Hauser, who I gave praise earlier for, um, Richard Jewell, uh, he was also in Black Klansmen. He has a small role in this as a guy that, that you know, who's in Vietnam trying to help with this organization to, you know, get find um, mines and bombs and disable them. So because kids keeping their legs and shit blown off even 50 years later. And he has a few, you know, he's in I'd say he's got a good half hour of time in the movie. He doesn't have a lot of dialogue. Like when you see Paul Walter Hauser in this movie you don't see him as a lead again. Like, like when you saw him in Richard Jewell, right? Instead, he goes back to like, like small supporting character again, which is fine. Cause this isn't his movie. This isn't about him. It's about the, it's about technically defy blood. So it's okay that he's not, but, um, another one of those co-stars um of, of Walter Hauser's, uh the, of the bomb diffusers is played by a guy named Jasper Pakonan who was also in black Klansmen he played one of the um I believe he played one of the also uh, you know rednecks and dude this guy looks straight up like he could play Michael bean's son like he looks if you ever look at him Mike see him he looks like he played Michael bean's son sure he looks fucking dead on like him. absolutely so <laughs> anyway and then um and then yeah it, it just what I'm trying to um, get on about this movie, though, is that even though it feels uneven at times, the emotional weight, the heft of it, it gets pretty powerful, especially when when it's going from the perspective of Lindo, Lindo's character. He makes you see his inner turmoil and feel his inner turmoil, like, like fucking shit. This guy's going through some shit. He's been going through shit for 50 years, and... So to see his transformation, I don't even know if you want more like degradation throughout the film where he just degrades throughout it. Like he's just falling more and more into his own fucking madness is, yeah, it's, it's something to see. And like I said, this is a role that he's, that he's deserved to have for a long time for, you know, for showing his acting prowess, you know, the guy's 67 years old and finally he has a, he has a chunky role. All right. Um, The, uh, there is some gruesome scenes in this film and the action to me, like Spike Lee doesn't, Spike Lee is good on dramatics and cinematography and stuff like that, but the action scenes to me where there's gunfights and stuff like that, it, it felt like it could have been done by anybody. There's nothing in any of the gun battles or anything like that, that blew me away that that was anything special or stood out. And so like there's this gun battle near the end of the film. I don't want to say who's involved, but it just, it tell it, 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 you know, it, it it shows some of the finality of some of the characters and stuff like that, but it still doesn't, it doesn't do anything special. You know, like when you see certain movies nowadays, some directors are able to have like a special action scene that distinguishes itself from other directors and other movies. And it's memorable for me. It's not that memorable in this. Um, another character in this movie is played by Jean Reno and he plays this banker who they're trying to get the gold bars through. If they're going to, you know, actually, if they are able to find the gold bars they um they're going to go through his bank and he's going to, you know, he's going to launder or whatever. He's going to liquidate them so that they can get them into accounts. And then they, they don't have to take the actual gold with them to America, which would be a pain in the ass to go through customs and all that shit. So, My thing about John Reno's character in this movie is he's okay, even though the action sequence that happens at the end of the movie where he's involved, like I said, it just doesn't feel like anything that special. Actually, to me, it kind of detracts from the movie itself in a way. Like, it would have been better if there would have been more one-on-one emotional stuff than just a gun battle. But goddamn, John Reno, who I'm I'm, I'm kind of a fan of because of the professional and when he was in the Godzilla 1998 movie and a couple other things... I like John Reno, but that motherfucker has not aged well at all. Oh my God. He looks like shit. He's gotten fatter and, 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 um, what is it? Um, bloated. And you could just tell, like, like he has not been taking care of his health. But regardless, that's just my own observation. Now, a couple things that I notice about this movie that no one's mentioning is there is not, there's a couple things that are, just way too easy, too contrived in a way. For example, when they're going on this hunt through the, the, the jungle, trying to find the body of Chad, Chadwick Boseman's character and where the gold is, there's this part where the son, who's you know who's coming along with him, the son of Delroy Lindo's character, he goes to take a shit. So he takes a shovel with him and he's going to go walk down the side of this hill and he's going to you know dig a hole and start taking a dump in it. Well, miraculously enough one of the gold bars is in the fucking hole that he starts to dig and it's like such bullshit like I, I I was like please tell me this is like a fucking dream sequence or something like that and it's not it really did he really did find it and now they found all the rest of the gold scattered along this hillside and it's just like come on man get the fuck out of here it was way too convenient for the plot and then there was one more thing I, I noticed that bugged the shit out of me. There is this scene where it's so telegraphed what's going to happen. And I tr- I'm going to try not to spoil it really too much, but a, there's a character who's going to die in the movie. And the telegraphing before he dies is so obvious. And it like takes two minutes for it to happen. But I already knew what was going to happen right when he started doing something that it it wasn't shocking at all when it happened. It It just... It, it, ugh! It just felt like bad filmmaking to me. It really did, you know. And I, I don't want to sound too critical on on Spike Lee, because for the most part, he did a really good job with this movie. But no reviews that I've read have pointed this shit out. Like, and no one's even touching it. Well, it sounds like they're they're kind of kissing his ass a little too much on the movie. But I wouldn't give the movie like an A plus, A minus, like a lot of people are doing. I would give this movie, I would say like a solid B, probably out of everything. Even though I don't normally give ratings anymore. I just don't think that the movie hits as hard as some people are saying. But there is some important shit that is said in this movie. And and it's definitely worth seeing. Just remember it's two and a half hours long. And <laughs> there is a couple times where it feel you can feel the weight of it. But it's mostly during the the, the just the, the the standard basic action scenes, which there's not too many of them, so I wouldn't worry too much about that. But when the drama's hitting it mostly hits and it hits pretty, pretty damn well, even though some of the other characters, even though their main characters don't get as much love, um, story-wise as other ones do. So anyway, that's all I got for, uh, Five bloods. It, it, like I said, it is worth seeing though. Check it out on Netflix. Very nice.
1: I had Joe make a decision for me about what movies I was going to, uh, review tonight, today, whatever yeah. review on the show. And, uh, I made him choose between A and B. Literally the one title was started with an A. The other title started with B. <laughs> I thought you, yeah. Cause when you said, I thought you wanted me to pick an A level movie and a B level movie. I, um, <clears throat> I have quite a few movies on my little home media server. And, um, one of them. So we've in the past, we've done a couple of Disney movies where we did this commentary, like a uh, song of the South. Well, it was never released because it was awful. Yeah. And like, I'm I love Disney movies. I love Disney animated movies. They're they're all just for, for me, there's always something to pick up on in terms of how characters are drawn, models and this and that. Well, I um I'm a huge fan of Mike McNola. I love his art. I love the way that uh, he's able to use contrast for the blacks, uh, the colors, uh, the, the absence of color and full color. So if you look at his art, he does a lot of stuff that's just in shadow, dark blacks or dark colors and blacks. And when you can convey emotion or action or anything else like that, just using basic colors, it's amazing how he's able to do that. So I'm just like flipping through and I'm like, you know what? I haven't seen Disney's Atlantis in a long time. Mm-hmm. It's done by Mike McNola, And I thought, what the hell? Why not? So I'm watching it. And the first thing that comes to my mind, well, there's a couple of things. The first thing that comes to my mind is how very similar it is in art style to – the older generations, like if you watch, uh, if you watch *Sword and Stone*, which is uh, done by Don Bluth and a couple of other the uh, older, the old guard, yeah, animators, and uh, *The Fox and the Hound* or *Robin Hood* or any of those, it's very, very, very similar art style wise. Uh like Dragon's Lair*. I, no, no, completely different. Not art style. Animation wise, the way that the hands move, the way, the way that people, uh, it's, it, they call it the Disney style mm-hmm. and that seems to be getting lost nowadays. I, I love traditional 2d animation. I, I love hand drawn. Yeah. So when I'm watching this now, this has got Mignola's style written all over it. Anyways, you can see it in the backgrounds. You can see it in the way that, and it's, he it, it doesn't use, I'm sorry. The animators don't use a lot of blacks and and contrasting colors. They obviously they've they use a lot of bright colors, but like if you look at backgrounds and stuff like that, there's a scene where Michael J. Fox's character Milo is brought into this mansion, this cavernous mansion, and he meets up with this guy. His name is Harcourt. And Harcourt is a friend of Michael J. Fox's character. It's a, he's a, Milo is, his grandfather was an explorer and everybody laughed at him, and made fun of him because he had these wild ideas and what he wanted to do and what, and how he wanted to do it. one of them was finding Atlantis anyways. So these two guys, these two older guys, Harcourt and Thatch were best friends and one of them died. Uh, uh, obviously thatch dies, but that's, I mean, it's just told in the story. It's doesn't, you never see it. So hardcore is going to basically fund an expedition to go find Atlantis. And if you mix Jules Verne with the Disney style, this is what you're going to get with Atlantis. But it wasn't just Mignola. As I'm watching this, there's a lot of stuff that's used. It looks like they used a rotoscope animation for, you know, there's a character that Claudia Christian, I always want to say Christensen, that Claudia Christian plays. Her name is Helga. Hold on a second. Lieutenant Helga Katrina Sinclair. She's German. But if you watch the movie, there's, it's specific the way that they did this character, which is very reminiscent of heavy metal. There's a scene in Heavy Metal at the end of the movie where you have the chosen one that's going to fight evil, and she she rides like a pterodactyl-type bird, and her movements are very atypical of ro- what's called rotoscope animation. And rotoscope animation is like this. You have a live model, and you are basically – tracing how she walks you're taking pictures and essentially you're doing the 26 frames per second or 30 frames or whatever it is yeah and she walks and moves in in a in one direction so left to right or right to left it doesn't really matter or she walks towards you so you can capture that movement and they did that in heavy metal specifically because it makes it look authentic yeah the way that people walk they did this in this movie for this character so when you're watching it it immediately takes you to if you've ever watched heavy metal or if you've seen other movies very similar to it it takes you right back to that style of animation which is rotoscope they did it with uh, Alice in Wonderland too and a whole in a, a whole bunch of other movies like uh, Snow White but this is specifically very similar in style to Heavy Metal <clears throat> I don't know if the animators on the team were very influenced by it or or loved that piece of animation it's it's wonderful it's a really cool piece of animation in that entire movie but there are other pieces that are also pulled from other animated movies, like the soldiers. There are soldiers in the background that have these helmets on and, like, gas masks on. Yeah. And look very similar to the Ralph Bakshi Wizards characters. So that's, you know, and they don't make noises, but you, you hear them once in a while. They'll say something and there'll be like a buzz sound. You know, or when they're talking, it sounds like a stormtrooper type of thing. Yeah. But it's very, very Bakshi-esque in the way that they take care of it. And then you have the Mike Mignola influence, or Mignola, however you say his name. I like saying Mignola. Oh, well. (laughs) And everything about, everything beyond that, as you're watching the movie, it is so beautiful. Like, they don't spend a lot of time... Delving into the background of grandpa dying and this and that. We get it. It's Michael J. Fox's character conveys it very effectively. He wants to fund a trip to Iceland to find a book so he can find Atlantis. Real simple. And the university that he's working at, same university that his grandfather got him a job at, that he worked at, they – They don't respect him. They think he's he's a loser. He works in the boiler room. That's all he does. He's not a professor. He's not a teacher assistant. He's not. He's a he's nobody. Yeah. And essentially, that's where they want to keep him. Because they just, they, they look down on him. So when he tries to get the university to fund this expedition, he says, well, I, re- if you don't do this, I'm going to resign. Like, don't throw your wife, life away, kid. Don't don't let this passion of yours, you know, make you, you know, drive you into making mistakes. Mm-hmm. And then he, he goes home. He finds Helga in his apartment. All the lights have been turned off. He can't turn on any lights. So the the power has been cut. And Helga brings him to... Harcourt, who is played by Fraser's dad. Oh, okay. John Mahoney. Yeah. And Mahoney's character, Harcourt... I want to make sure I'm saying that right. I've said it a hundred times. Yeah. Thank God for... I'm sorry. Whitmore, not Harcourt. Harcourt is another character. So i have to go and fucking edit that. Oh, I'm sorry. David Ogden Steers plays Harcourt. The bad guy. Okay. Not the bad guy, but he's a, he's a member of the Smithsonian Institution who dismisses Milo's belief. I got those two mixed up. <coughs> Whitmore is Mahoney's character. And Whitmore and Thatch were friends. So he he walks into this cavernous library, and the backgrounds are amazing. You got a fire in the background. And the character is very reminiscent of Merlin from The Sword and the Stone and just the way that his character is drawn, the way that his character acts. Very, very similar. Mm. And then he talks Milo into well he doesn't really talk Milo into it. Milo talks himself into it. And then we see the submarine, they go down into the uh, the dock, it's the best way I can say it. Where we see the submarine and hundreds of people working to get it loaded and, and ready to go. One thing I noticed about this movie, which was really cool, is people die in this movie. Not the main characters, yeah, but they don't die off screen. So there's a scene where Milo specifically says, "Hey, you know, we got to be careful when we're going here. We got to find a little hole. We got to find a trench. We got to find a hole and that hole is kind of like a it's like a pot." Yeah. You go into it and when you pop up on the other side there's going to be like a like a natural cave. But guarding that whole thing is the Leviathan and it's just it's a, it's like it looks like a lobster with tentacles. And they're like, ah, you know, they're dismissing him and everything else. So the the lobster thing attacks, mm-hmm. and it's an ancient guardian for Atlantis. It's a robot, and as it attacks them, they have to abandon the sub. They abandon the sub in their little, in, in individual like escape pods, and it's attacking them with this like laser shot. It's really kind of cool, laser lightning, whatever you want to call it. And it blows up the sub. So, whoever, like 200 people die, and then they make it to this natural cave underground, and they have to break through the walls. To get to Atlantis. They have to basically dig another cave to get from, you know, where they are to Atlantis. And again, more shit happens. Like there's a scene where they have fireflies and these fireflies group on mass and burn everything down and people die. Yeah. Like people like literally catch on fire and, and it explode. It's, and so there's a bunch of red shirts. Yeah. A whole bunch of red shirts. And they escape from that and they, they finally make it to Atlantis. Fine. And Leonard Nimoy plays the King of Atlantis. Cree Summers plays his daughter, Kira. Uh, Cree Summers, you all know who Cree Summers is. She did the voice for Penny from Inspector Gadget. She was the original voice. All right. And she's been in Drawn Together, and she was in uh, Codename Kids Next Door, and and, uh, a ton, and ton, and ton, and ton of voiceover work. She also uh, was one of the people that was on A Different World. So- we meet those characters. Milo is played by Michael J. Fox. You have you have um, Corey Burton, who does a lot of stuff for Disney, who plays this yeah. character called Mollier, or Mole, who is basically a French uh, uh, archaeologist, who is a mole. He looks like a mole. You have... You have a guy. You, if you ever remember uh, Father Guido Sarducci, yes, it's played by the by the same guy, right? <laughs> yeah. So you have a guy that's a demolitions expert, played by Father Guido Sarducci. You have James Garner who plays the captain of the of the crew, and he's he's got a. And, and this is the other nice thing about this is you don't know what happens until, like, you're essentially halfway through the movie, where you have Garner's character who is using everybody to get his dreams accomplished, which is all he wants is money. And he's going to, he's going to exploit Atlantis for this, right? So you don't know until, until you're, like I said, until maybe a third, halfway into it. And then that's, that's when everything starts to change. And Garner's character turns into this bad guy. And he was always a bad guy, but he's always he had this he, he had this uh uh secondary goal. Yeah, that's it. And that that goal was essentially to take all of Atlantis's resources and and sell them and make tons of money. So the 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 character for Garner is so well written that you kinda get sucked into what he's saying because I mean Garner's just a great actor, was and the way that he can convey emotion, even just doing voiceover stuff. He's got this magical voice and the cast for this entire movie works so well together that, I mean, there's some, there's some garbage moments in there. Like when he turns on his assistant Helga, when Garner's character turns on his assistant Helga, because she has second thoughts about, you know, destroying Atlantis and whatnot. And then she, she, uh, she gets kicked off this balloon thing, and then at the end, before she dies, because she does, she shoots a flare into the balloon and blows everything up, and that causes basically a cataclysm. The, it cracks the the soil. It, cra- it allows the volcanoes to start pumping lava, or it allows the lava lake to start pumping. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and... They have to escape again, and then they have to use the Guardians to to protect Atlantis. Well, you know, I'm not getting into the story because I'm more interested in the animation. I'm more interested in the characters. And as I'm watching the movie, like this is one of the few movies that I've watched in the past couple of weeks that really grabbed my attention and mostly because of the Mike Mcnola thing. But. The situations, the the animation. There's no singing in it, and this is what I liked about this movie: is that it differed from the other Disney. It differs from the other di- Disney movies <coughs> in that there are no songs. They don't stop and break into song and dance. It's just a straight-on, you know, sci-fi action animation movie, and that's what makes it work so well. And I wish Disney would do more of this stuff. I mean, not I'm not talking about the Pixar stuff. I'm talking about the Disney animated stuff. I wish Disney would do more of this stuff, but they won't because it's not popular. You yeah. know what I'm saying? It's in and, and sometimes you just gotta go away from popular and just try something different and see if it works. And that's that's what's going on with with a lot of the Disney movies is that the reason why it doesn't work is because this is going on all, all the same time. They're not making movies that are... They're making movies for the younger generation, that's fine, but they're not making movies for people like me and Joe or you um, in terms of what you want, what you like. I'm talking Disney animation, you know, and and there's a whole lot of other issues going on with that as well in terms of content and pc and cutting and editing and redistributing movies that have been edited for content but that's another story for another time i really enjoyed watching atlantis because of the influence of mignola and because the guys that wrote the movie and directed the movie did such a great job in giving us an action movie and and not what's the word i'm looking for not going the easy route or the predictable route? Yeah, okay. exactly. Not going the easy, predictable route, which is it's in, throw a bunch of songs in it, like in Pocahontas or whatever. And, and they, they, they pulled a lot of references. They pulled a lot of information from previous movies, non-Disney movies and old Disney movies from the old, you know the old guard. To give us this movie that is that's past and present all thrown together, it was one of the first Disney CGA full CGI movies that they did u- using uh, cartoon style animation, and they it's not overdone, it's not it's not gross uh, the way that they did it. Some of the stuff is kind of cheesy, but like there's a, there's a scene where Kira. Her character gets pulled up into the – they're like um, voodoo masks, right? Yeah. And she's she's the chosen one. She's got power. She's going to be – she's the protector of Atlantis. And when she is taken hostage and put into – like she's put into this little containment unit. Like Atlantis, all the water starts to recede. It starts to die, you know everything starts to go away all the little crystals that people hold they're going away because she's 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 mother earth essentially she's gaia gaia yeah so when you have when you have a character like that and then she comes back let me go back let me walk this back so when we're first when we're introduced to her and her power they use cg to rotate the masks around her and it's really fantastic the way they do it. You can tell it's CG, but it's appropriately used. Mm-hmm. It's like I said, it's not overdone, it's not it's just not garbage. I I like that. I liked when when they can do stuff like that. They do that in Family Guy. So like when he's driving, when Peter's driving his car, yeah. And you see the car stop and it it kind of it, it, it rolls back and forth because of the brakes they do that on the Simpsons now with the cars and it just makes it a little bit more realistic. Yeah. They don't go overboard. They don't need to, they have in in past, you know, like some of the other animated uh, TV shows and movies. um, They're doing that for SpongeBob. They do that. And they've tried different things for SpongeBob, the new SpongeBob movie. That's supposedly that was supposed to come out this year. um, is more CG than anything else. Yeah. But it looks like it's stop motion as well. So, uh, I'm kind of waiting to go see that movie, but who knows when the hell it'll come out. Yeah. But they've used stop motion animation in SpongeBob cartoons as well, like his uh, Christmas special, kind of like Frosty the Snowman. It's like a throwback to Frosty and Rudolph and, yeah. and those types of movies. So all in all, I, I, I highly recommend it. If you haven't seen Disney's Atlantis, check it out. <clears throat> all the acting is fantastic in the movie. The animation is great. You're not going to see any songs. It's, it's a little darker. Than most Disney movies because it does involve death and stuff like that. But the overall, it's not any more dark than
0: Indiana Jones. So there you go. I heard they're doing a live action. Yeah. Well, good. So, yeah, because, you know, Disney's live actioning everything. So, yep. After uh, Mulan and the planned uh, Hercules live action come out there. The rumor is they're going to be doing Atlantis uh, sometime soon.
1: Yeah. Hercules is the next one I want to watch. I, I haven't seen that in a while. You know, I've watched The Emperor's New Groove a couple of times. Well, I know
0: is they better have James Woods play Hades. I know Why? he's old, but he just, he, he to me, that was the biggest selling point in that movie was was James Woods as Hades. just couldn't see anybody else doing it. They're not
1: going to have James Woods as Hades. What's the last time you've seen James Woods in anything? I know, and he's too right-wing anyway. There you go. <laughs> I, I don't think I've seen him in anything since uh, the general's daughter. <laughs> I haven't seen him in anything since uh, they kicked him off Family Guy for tweeting whatever he tweeted. So uh,
0: that's all we got, man. All right. Well, thank you, and we'll uh, we'll let you know if we got anything else. Yep. We'll see you next time. Next time.